Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you've been around here at Mercy Hill for a little bit, uh, you'll know that we've been studying our way through a section of Jesus' teaching in the Gospel of Matthew. It's Matthew chapter 5 through 7. It's a collection of teachings called the Sermon on the Mount. And as we've been looking at this, this month in particular, we're looking closely at Jesus' declaration that you and I, the people who are following Jesus, are the light of the world. He says, you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world. And and this matters for us as a church. Here's a couple of our perspectives before we dig into the verses. One thing that this means to us is that it's part of our identity to be a people who transform the society that we're in. We are here to influence and engage with society around us. And that means that we reject the idea that holiness means withdrawing from everybody around us, that holiness would mean withdrawing from the culture. Instead, we understand that the kingdom of heaven is like a bit of yeast that's put into a lump of dough and it influences the whole thing as it grows and expands. And so we're meant by God. Genuine holiness is meant by God to influence and transform the society, the relationships, the people around us. That's who he's made us to be. And so in the last couple of weeks, we've looked at Jesus's teaching about being salt and light. And this morning, we want to look at Jesus's example of how Jesus himself lived it out. What does it, what does being salt and light look like when it's Jesus himself who's the one who's doing it? Because there's great things for us to see and learn from Jesus's example. And so uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to look, just draw our attention at one particular example in Matthew chapter 15 that I would consider kind of emblematic. It sort of encapsulates a lot of different aspects of Jesus' ministry into one episode as a bit of a summary uh, vignette, if you will. And then we're going to take a look at the contrast between how Jesus did it and the way that so many other kind of self-appointed culture influencers of his time were trying to do it. So look with me in Matthew chapter 15, verses 19 through 32. And... Oh, let's actually take a peek. Uh, rather than just glossing over what it says in Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16. Next slide. Um, whoops. Can we get the next slide, Andy? Thanks. Uh, Jesus says, you, oh, back one, verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. But if that salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. It's just dirt at that point. You are the light of the world. Next next slide. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light consistently, visibly shine before men so that they may see your good deeds and do what? Exactly. And so we're asking, what's it look like when Jesus does this? So we'll jump to Matthew chapter 15, uh, verses 29 through 32. Go ahead, next slide. And, and it says this, Jesus left there and he went down to the, along the Sea of Galilee. And then he went up on a mountainside and sat down and great crowds came to him. 
bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others. And they laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Right? Do you follow what's going on there? Jesus is doing good works. People are seeing it and they're amazed. And what are they doing? They're praising God the Father. And so here we're seeing Jesus is living out what he taught in Matthew 5, verses 13 through 16. He did it in many places, many occasions. His whole ministry was full of it. But these three verses are used by Matthew sort of as a summary vignette of how this is the kind of thing that Jesus was doing. And this is how people were responding. And what I'd like to do in our time this morning is flip the hood up and look at the engine that's driving this bus to look under the hood a bit and see what's there. Because the next verse says they praise the God of Israel. That was verse 31. Do you see verse 32? Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. Under the hood, the engine of all of the good works that Jesus is doing, what's what's activating, what's providing the momentum for this whole business of being salt and light. Here's the critical ingredient, guys. It's compassion. It's compassion. Being salt and light, which is our identity in Christ, we we do this. It begins with you and me sharing the compassion of Christ. For Jesus, it matters that it's not just some kind of external actions of so-called righteousness, but that it's an overflow of God's heart and all of our interactions with people. Because it's as we share the heart of Christ that we reflect his nature and his light shines through us. And you know, it is, it's Christ's compassion that calls us out of withdrawing from other people, from difficult relationships. Like, you know, it's Thanksgiving time or Christmas is coming. We don't want to be with certain people, but it's the compassion of Christ that calls us out of withdrawal to be there. There's people, coworkers you have, people in your neighborhood that you naturally don't want to interact with. Why, why bother? It's not because it's a project. It's because of the compassion of Christ that draws us out of our own isolation to engage with people who are broken, to engage with a sinful society. It's Christ's compassion that calls us to be present, to be present with, for, and among people whose lives are broken, many of whom are just trapped in sinful patterns, and to light the way towards a God who cares. And uh, Jesse Wheeler says this really well. Uh, next slide. Um, the, he's at the Arab Baptist Theological Seminary in Lebanon. And he says that to be the light of the world is not to condemn, withdraw, or shy away from the world. But instead to actively pursue the dark places. To willingly enter into places of pain, poverty, and injustice, of sickness, of violence, of sin. And an imitation of Christ, that's an imitation of Christ himself, in order to bring the light, love, justice, and peace of God 
to those people and places where it's needed the most. This kind of intentional engagement with a sinful world, actively pursuing the dark places, willingly entering into places of pain and sin, that's what the incarnation of Jesus Christ is all about. God left heaven to enter a sinful world. And his holiness in the world was not to condemn, but to save. The good news of Jesus Christ is that God left heaven and he came down into the sinful world to seek and save those who are lost in sin and far from God. God became present here in our world in order to bring salvation. And his presence is not a condemning presence. It's a saving presence. And Jesus himself said it this way in John chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Verse 16, you may be familiar with, says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have eternal life. But Jesus continues. Verse 17 says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And guys, that is our lens for being salt and light, for engaging with society, not to condemn, but to shine, not to condemn, but to point towards Jesus, not to condemn, but to be a light that leads people to salvation. Now, I want to show us a contrast to that because the leaders of Jesus's time were trying to live their righteousness in a way it was very different than the way Jesus was doing it. And, and I, I just taking as an example an episode in Matthew, sorry, in John's gospel in chapter five, uh, where Jesus heals a man who's been crippled, who's been lying on his mat, hoping to get better. Jesus heals him. And you can see the compassion of Christ lined up against the attitude of the religious leaders of his time. So it says in verse eight that Jesus said to this man, get up. Pick up your mat and walk. And he did. At once, the man was cured. And what did he do? He did what Jesus said. He picked up his mat and he walked. And it just so happened that the day on which this happened was the Sabbath. Now, Jesus healed on basically any day of the week. Uh, and on the Jewish Sabbath, the religious laws and rules said you're not allowed to work on the Sabbath. And so when the religious leaders saw this man who had been crippled and was healed by a miracle from Jesus, how did they respond? They say, you're breaking the rules. You're you're doing wrong. The law forbids you to carry your mat here on the Sabbath. So here's a contrast. The way Jesus is, is acting and the way those religious leaders are acting. Let me ask you, which one is really being salt and light the way Jesus intends? I'll give you a hint. It's Jesus. Right? Look, guys, it's not being salt and light. Not the way Jesus intends it to be. If we're only telling people what they're doing wrong. Or telling people just a hundred ways that they need to do things better without a vibrant compassion that moves us towards their needs. When we lose the heart of God, we are no longer genuinely salt and light in the world the way Jesus intends. 
And the, whatever salt the Pharisees had, had lost its saltiness. And it's just dirt. At this point, they, they're doing a great job of keeping their own lists of religious rules for personal morality and devotion to God. And I have to say, they're extremely diligent, extremely faithful to the requirements and rules of their religion, but completely tone deaf to the heart of God as Jesus is expressing it. And so Jesus, we're going to jump ahead to Matthew 23. Jesus actually condemns the way they are modeling and exampling genuine religion to the people. And he calls them blind guides and hypocrites. And in Matthew chapter 23, he actually has a list of about seven different times. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees. And he pronounces these woes against the self-righteousness and hypocrisy of the religious leaders of the time. Because their example was, was... in a sense, caricaturing to the people what God really cared about. And they're modeling the way they were living, what they thought faithfulness to God looked like, was painting the wrong picture. And so Jesus criticizes them for missing the burden of God's heart. You see what he says. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of everything you grow in your garden. Your mint, your dill, and your cumin. You just, just picture it, okay? You're, you're picking the leaves off the plant, and you weigh them, and you take a tenth, and you bring it to the temple to give that. That is pretty scrupulous, intense devotion to what you think the law requires. But Jesus says, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law. Justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, which is the latter. Excellent. Without neglecting the former. You blind guides. You strain out a gnat, and you, but you swallow a camel. Is he making his point? Can we hear it? Can we hear that point? Guys, here's the point for us this morning. Yeah, it matters. To get the little things right. But we've got to get the main, keep the main things the main things. Don't let what it looks like to follow God get so focused on the minutiae and the details that you miss the larger burdens of God's heart. Keep the main thing, the main things. Mercy, justice, faithfulness matter more than mint and dill and cumin. Loving our neighbor, it's central to the heart of God. It's a vital expression of our love for God himself. It means for us, guys, we need to be people who are not known for everything we're against. But that we're people who are known for who we're for. And that our presence around people smells like salvation. I I think, look, I think it's tragic that the average non-churchgoer in the USA and a tragic number of churchgoers think that what Christians are really supposed to care about is whether we say Merry Christmas versus Happy Holidays and who we're not willing to bake cakes for. It's not what Jesus intends, the picture of Christianity to look like. We start doing that, we are blind guides. We've lost our saltiness. 
to recover it, we have to get close to the heart of Jesus and be moved by his compassion. If we're neglecting the issues of justice, mercy, and faithfulness, by just focusing on the letter of rights and wrongs of personal morality, we're not being salt and light Jesus' way. Instead, Jesus was the light of the world, not by fault-finding, not by speaking out against every shortcoming of the people around him. He could have done that all day long. No, instead, Jesus was salt and light by practicing compassion while living in wholehearted devotion to God. That's what it's about for us. When you get up tomorrow morning, when you lay your head on the pillow tonight and you're praying, ask the Lord to give you his heart to go into the day. It's so easy to fall into just a judgmental, negative perspective on the people around us because, hey, everybody's doing something wrong. Look, that's easy. Let's set the bar higher for us. Say, God, work in my heart that I could see people like you do, whether it's my relatives at Thanksgiving during the holidays, whether it's people who've treated us wrong, whether it's people who are on the other side of a political spectrum than you personally are. We live in compassion as part of wholehearted devotion to God. And I just want to share with you a couple of stories that got sent my way this week of people that we love and we know who are living that out really well. And we feel like it's a privilege to be partnered with them. Many of you know a brother of ours in India named Francis Pitigu. He's been here. You've had meals with Francis. And uh, he directs a ministry primarily for children, but also for women who's been rescued from sex trafficking uh, in the northern, in Goa, which is southeast, west, sorry, southwest India, and in the northern part of Karnataka state, which is next door. And Goa is a state where the people who are from Goa are, are maybe 15% of the population. The other 85% are migrant workers from other parts of India generally underpaid, um, just migrated in the area for work, trying to send money back to relatives in the villages. And they're largely concentrated in large slums around the cities where the jobs are uh, in Goa itself. And, and we've had a relationship as a church with Francis for many years now. And we love the work that he's doing with, together with other believers there in starting English language preschools for children from the slums providing tailoring training for women who've been rescued or had an alternative to sex trafficking and computer training for teenagers. That's basically three things that they do through Tender Heart Ministries. And uh, we were able as a church to send Francis a donation about two months ago. And, and this week he sent me these pictures and the following email. And feel free to tick through the pictures while I, while I read the email. It says, Dear Brother John, Family, and Mercy Hill Church, Greetings from India in Jesus' name. I want to thank you for sending donation for Mercy Hill Church. You have been answer to our prayer. Since a year, we wanted to start one more preschool center and a second computer center in uh, Shanatinagar. Shanatinagar is second biggest slum in Goa, near to the airport. Um, Corey, uh, Larry, and Mindy, remember where um, Pastor Shankar and Pushpa live in their house? It's up in that direction, a little over to the east from there. Second largest slum in Goa, 45,000 people packed in uh, together. Um, he says, in the slum, one, no Christian witness. Two, no school. Three, unemployment. 
since a year, wanted to start some projects here so that we can reach out people with gospel. The Lord answered prayer through you. With donation, you sent, we have started one, a preschool center, two, a second computer training center. And with your support, we'll be able to pay for one year, one, salary for three people, two, daycare and computer teacher, two, rent. They're using the same building for the daycare and the computer center. Daycares in the, sorry, preschools in the morning, computer training is in the afternoon. Um, and three, bought charts, stationery, uniforms, books, and a laptop. Uniforms are really important. You see the, the small children in their uniforms? Those are the nicest clothes they have. And it levels the playing field, whether they're children from a Muslim home or a Hindu home. Their wardrobe no longer distinguishes which, uh, which type of family they've come from. And, and it just levels the playing field in a beautiful way uh, for the children. We started about two weeks ago, and we are seeing the great results. Some young people, those would be the computer students, are showing interest in Jesus. Parshu, who is the teacher you saw on the first slide, is born-again Christian and is teaching and witnessing. I'll update you with more news and stories in the coming days. It's simple acts of love done in the compassion of Christ that are the light of the world in a place like Goa or Highland or Munster or Hammond. Um, and as Matt was sharing with us before, uh, we've been getting messages from Zimbabwe. Uh, last month, we were able to send an offering to help drill some wells and, and provide clean water during a cholera crisis in Harare. And our brothers and sisters in Harare have used the well drilling to also share the compassion and love of Christ with the people in their communities. And so... Uh, Silent sent me this news yesterday. He said, I just want you to know that there will be official opening of the Hopely Water Project tomorrow. That was today, guys. And, and this morning while we were praying in the office before the service, he sent me pictures of the, uh, the official well opening, uh, thing that, that I don't have to show you on the screen. They're on my phone. If you want to take a look, they're right here. Um, but here's what he wrote yesterday. I just want you to know there will be official opening of the Hopely Water Project tomorrow. We've invited local community leaders, including the councilor of the area, that the city council, city councilman. Many people who have given their lives to Jesus yesterday and today are expected to attend. You see, what they did, oh, where'd we go? What we, what they did for the last couple days was, let's keep going down the sides. Here we go. So there's the completed well and hopefully, next slide. It's solar power because they don't have electricity in the area. And so they put security fence around it to protect the installation, not to keep people away from the water, uh, to keep to keep the water flowing for people. And Friday night and Saturday, they were doing a gospel evangelism crusade right on the site, singing, dancing, telling people about Jesus. And silence says people got saved yesterday. Others made decisions today. We're so encouraged to see a great number of people coming to know the Lord. The water project has brought both physical and spiritual life to both the people of Hopely and people from our churches in other neighborhoods who are seeing the goodness of God through his provision and through his saving grace. And when I encouraged silent and we were trading messages yesterday, I encouraged him. Silent, you've done a great job with this. Uh, He just wanted us to know that as a church, he says this. 
I believe you all heard God. You know, I mean, I think we have moments in our lives where as individuals, we feel like we've heard the Lord about something and he touches our heart in a particular direction. Guys, as a church, we've experienced that together. Your children have been part of this, giving the little Ziplocs uh, of money. And it's a special thing. Say together we've been able to be part of something that was close to the heart of God. It was an act of compassion. And there's people not just in our neighborhoods, but on that side of the world, praising God because of how you've been salt and light. And and so this morning, Silence sent photos of the city councilman cutting a ribbon to officially open the water project. And they, they got the choir out there for the uh, event. They, they are leveraging every opportunity to talk about Jesus here. And he says, the ceremony went on well. All the community leaders we had invited were present. Were present. Right? And John Hamster was saying, you know, God always does above and beyond. You know, we were able to send some money, but look what God's done. And Silas said this, the counselor's wife is now part of the church. And the husband said that he's following. There's something that happens when we're willing to care and we're willing to, to put what we've got at stake for it. Because brothers and sisters, let me tell you something about the cross of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus died and rose again, you and I, we don't have to be afraid of losing anything. You and I, we don't have to be afraid of whether our neighbors might reject us or whether money we give or whether the compassion that we pour into a life of someone in our home doesn't seem to turn out the way that we wanted it to. Nothing is wasted. And we don't have to be afraid of losing any of it. Jesus died. He rose again. And when we live cross-shaped lives, his glory comes.